you're listening to episode three of Justice, Mercy, Faith, a podcast from The Christian Citizen. In this episode, enjoy Christian Citizen contributors, the Reverend Mindy Welton Mitchell on Who is My Neighbor? The Reverend John Ziering returns to the podcast with his essay, The Day They Hid the Liberty Bell. And the Reverend Margaret Markison asks, Can You Let Go? The Reverend Mindy Welton Mitchell is pastor of Queen Anne Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington, and ministry associate of social media for the Evergreen Association of American Baptist Churches, USA. I was sitting with some friends at a coffee shop when a man behind me asked the woman next to him, can you do me a favor? Depends, she replied, on what kind of favor? Can you call 911 for me? Um, uh, I, she stammered. My companions and I all looked at each other. I waited a few seconds, but she didn't respond further. I picked up my phone and told my friends, I'll make the call. As I turned around, I saw several faces, eyes all staring at the individual, their faces blank, mouths agape. Everyone seemed frozen, unsure of how to respond. I looked at the man who seemed to be somewhat inebriated, and I asked him if he'd like to step outside with me as I hoped to remove him from the staring faces. We walked outside and he told me his name and that he was trying to get sober and needed help. Unfortunately, after dialing 911, the service that the county provides called the sober van was unavailable for our location and he didn't want an ambulance. So the dispatcher was unable to help. I asked the man if there was someone else I could call, but he shook his head. My friends helped look up other numbers but as it was after hours, there were no services available. Soon after, the man left the coffee shop, and I prayed for him that he would make it through the night and receive the services he needed. While I'm discouraged by the lack of services for those who need help, I'm more disheartened by the lack of response from my neighbors. I know that in times of crisis, anxiety rises naturally, and we have the fight-or-flight response but I was dismayed by the number of people who tried to ignore the situation, all the people who seemed unable to do anything. Of all the things to be asked for, to call 911 is a fairly easy request to fulfill. The dispatcher will handle everything if they are able to, and if not, you've done what was asked of you at the very least. We read the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, 29-37, and when Jesus asked the lawyer, which of the three men was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus tells him to go and do likewise. However, I wonder how many of us are still like the lawyer, asking questions to figure out who our neighbors are. I grew up in Alaska, the largest state with one of the smallest populations. It is still very possible to be driving on a road and not see another car for hours. There is an ethic of being a good Samaritan because you might be the only person who can help. Early in our marriage, my husband and I, while driving in Alaska, witnessed a VW rabbit cross the road in front of us, ride up a steep embankment, and jump high into the air, careening out of control until it slammed into the ground and rolled several times. We pulled over, my husband leaping out of our truck to see if there were any survivors while I called 911. The driver of the VW had fallen asleep and amazingly enough, came away with only a few scratches. 
My husband helped him gather up his belongings, strewn about the ground near the demolished car, while I spoke with the state troopers and eventually the man's wife to let her know he was okay. While a few other people that afternoon slowed down and shouted, You all right? We were the only ones who remained until an officer arrived at the scene. I'm sure there were other people in the coffee shop the night I was there who wanted to help, but didn't know what to say or to do. My upbringing in Alaska may have something to do with it, but the story of the Good Samaritan is core to who I am as a Christian, to be a neighbor, to show mercy to anyone, regardless of who they are. Sometimes we have developed a different ethic, one where we decide first that we can't really do anything, or we judge the other and make the decision we shouldn't help. Don't give the panhandler money because they'll just use it on booze is one I've heard many times. Even at church, I've heard, don't give to the person asking for money because other people will start coming and asking for money too. When most of the people who ask for help need money, and most of the time we refuse that basic need, what are we doing to help the people around us? What if, when we read the Good Samaritan story, the person who was robbed was drunk? What if they were addicted to drugs? Would that have made a difference to how Jesus told the story? I don't believe so. The Samaritan came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved to do something. He bandaged his wounds, took him to an inn, and cared for him, paying for his care until he was well. Most of the time, a stranger asking us for help isn't asking for all that. They're just asking for a little money to get them to buy their next meal a little compassion to make a phone call that is terribly difficult to make. They're asking, really, for us to see them as human beings, as the Samaritan saw the man beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, where the two religious people passed by and pretended not to see him. This isn't just a parable that Jesus taught to put the lawyer in his place. This is a story Jesus told that ought to convict us today. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, we ought not to turn away from the voice that calls for help. We ought to remember that the neighbor is the one who showed mercy to the one in need, and that Jesus said, go and do likewise. The Reverend John Zering has served United Church of Christ congregations for 22 years as a pastor in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Maine. He is the author of more than 30 books. His most recent, is Get Your Church Ready to Grow, a guide to building attendance and participation, and is available at judsonpress.com and wherever you buy books. A precious sketch for a painting hangs in my home, depicting the day they moved the Liberty Bell from Philadelphia to hide it under the floorboard of the old Zion Reformed Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where it remained until June 27, 1778. The painting is by Philadelphia-area artist Donald Cleveland Tabor, my wife's beloved grandfather. He was born in 1895 and died in 1981. The church, now known as the Zions Reformed United Church of Christ, has the unique website of libertybellchurch.org, and the church hosts the Liberty Bell Museum. I was born in Philadelphia. And like every school kid, our yellow buses delivered us on field trips to Independence Hall, where we viewed the Liberty Bell. The bell did not always sit protected behind a bulletproof glass chamber. With my finger, I have traced the crack in the bell, perhaps reminding us that freedom and liberty is a fragile blessing. 
With my knuckles, I have wrapped the liberty bell to hear the ring of freedom. Let freedom ring throughout our land. My eyes were captivated by the quote on the top of the liberty bell, which bears the inscription from Leviticus 25, verse 10, which says, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. After our encounter with the bell and the tour of Independence Hall, we were escorted to the next most important site, the store. <laughs> it was there I bought a mock parchment, parchment replica of the Declaration of Independence with its soaring language of freedom for all. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Even in those days, a generation before inclusive language, I understood that men meant all women, children, and men. And I understood that the word all contained no exceptions. In June 1753, the bell was hung in the old wooden steeple of the State House, erected on top of the brick tower. It was in use while the Continental Congress was in session in the State House. It rang out in defiance of British tax and trade restrictions, and it proclaimed the Boston Tea Party and the first public reading of the Declaration of Independence. The website for the Liberty Bell Shrine in Allentown explains, At the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the Bell of Independence Hall rang to proclaim liberty throughout the land. But a year later, things were going badly for Washington and the Patriots. Philadelphia was about to fall into enemy hands. The British were running low on ammunition, and it was known that they would melt the city's church bells for muskets and cannibals. The nation's executive council decided to send the bells to the village of Northampton, now known as Allentown. A train of 700 wagons was organized to carry military stores to Bethlehem. The Liberty Bell was aboard one of these wagons. After its arrival at Bethlehem, the bells were hauled to Northampton, where they were hidden under the floor of the old Zion Reformed Church, where they remained until the British evacuated Philadelphia. The Liberty Bell and church bells were then restored to their proper places. The painting by Donald Cleveland Haber depicts the moving of the Liberty Bell on the way to its hiding place at the old Zion Reformed Church the nation's beloved and precious symbol of liberty, flawed as it may be, is a steadfast and bold reminder of the word all. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. The intent of American liberty was always directed to all, although our practices, like the bell, contain some cracks in them. There are people who have been, and some who still are, excluded from the word all. In that, our nation has failed and has sinned. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, wrote Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from a Birmingham jail. We, as people of faith, are called and compelled to serve as ambassadors for justice everywhere and to all. 
The Liberty Bell extends its palms up and open arms message to all. At a time when our nation's polarization divides opinions about who is welcome and who is not, and when America's leaders at the highest levels close borders, build walls, and contradict contradict the welcome offered by the words on the base plate of our nation's Statue of Liberty, we need once again to hear the Liberty Bell's ring of freedom with an emphasis on the word all. It's hard to grow up visiting the Liberty Bell, just blocks from where Betsy Ross pieced together America's first flag, and not feel a sense of national pride and patriotism. And yet, patriotism has an ugly side to it when it is blind, deaf, dumb, close-minded, and unwelcoming. I confess a stomach-turning discomfort when I witness giant-sized American flags waving from car dealers. Flag presentation ceremonies and worship services are the pseudo-patriotism of political rallies enveloped in red, white, and blue. But they may not co-opt a true sense of patriotism away from me, or from the intent of the Liberty Bell's ring of freedom. True patriotism hates injustice in its own land more than anywhere else, goes a quote attributed to Clarence Darrow. Injustice occurs when the word all contains exceptions, even those hidden beneath the surface of civility. Bad injustice is worthy to be hated. When liberty excludes Mexicans, Muslims, Medicare recipients, LGBTQ people, those with a skin pigment different than yours, those who are different, differently abled, or those who exercise their freedom to disagree with or to protest against injustice. Let us, true patriotism, true patriots, accept the call from Leviticus and from Philadelphia to be proclaimers of liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants. Let us be true to the word all. Let us labor so that the ring of freedom need never again to be hidden under the floorboards. The Reverend Margaret Markison helps ministers do their work without wearing out or burning out through ministry coaching, presentations, and online resources found at her website, margaretmarkison.com. The first week in January, I was on a rare trip to New York City. While I love New York, I can find it a little overwhelming. On a break from the gathering I was attending, I slipped into the St. Anthony of Padua Church around the corner from the meeting space. I love that their doors were open on a weekday. As I sat down, the silence was a relief. Just a few other people sat in the pews. I looked ahead, and the poinsettias were still massed at the front. I closed my eyes with the image of the flowers in my mind and prepared to pray for a few minutes. Then I heard a rustling sound. I looked up again, and there was the custodian with a plastic trash bag. He began picking up the poinsettia plants one by one and dumping them in the bag. I was disappointed and annoyed. My quiet time was disturbed. He was tearing down the beauty I had appreciated, and he was throwing away plants. I got over my inner mini-tantrum and stopped for a moment. The question came to me, 
What do you need to let go of? Fear was the instant answer. My husband and I are facing the unknown right now as he experiences a job layoff after many years. I've been discerning where to take my work, teaching and coaching pastors. Letting go of fear is something I need to do every day through this time. The disruption and loss which generate fear can be necessary and even life-giving. Dealing with change and loss is a constant part of human experience. It's never easy, but being overcome by fear or simply resisting and complaining take a tremendous amount of energy which we could put into more creative pursuits. This movement is part of life. There is an inevitable pruning that happens. It makes room for the new. As we move through the church year, we don't want poinsettias in the church when Lent begins. They would get in the way and distract us from the work of preparation for Easter. It happens through the life cycle as well as through the church year. My father is 95 years old and his life is not the same as when he was younger. He does miss his old life. He often says he wishes he were still working. Yes, really. He was in sales and loved the stimulation and challenge of that work. At the same time, he recognizes having care and regular meals and a roof over his head are all blessings in his life. He said to me just last week, quite sincerely, it's better than being on the street. I've learned a lot from him about dealing with the losses of living to a great age and the courage it takes to face them. I have a good example in my call to let go of the fear of change in 2019. You may intentionally let go of something in your life, or you may be let go by others from a job, in a relationship, or by any change around you. Either way, you will have plenty of thoughts and emotions about the experience. Can you begin to notice them rather than simply being caught up in them? Writing, ideally by hand, is a great way to do this. You don't even have to reread what you're recording. The process itself helps you get a little distance from it. Here are four questions to consider in the face of change and loss. Take a few minutes and, and jot down quick answers to these questions. One, what am I called to let go of? Or, what is letting go of me? Two, what is the gift in this letting go? Three, what do I notice about my response to it? Four, how is God present with me as I walk through these days? That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thank you to this week's contributors, the Reverend Mindy Welton Mitchell, the Reverend John Zering, and the Reverend Margaret Markson. Our theme music is Believable Too by Peter Sandberg. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. We'll be back with a new episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith on March 5th. To learn more about The Christian Citizen, visit the website christiancitizen.us. 
Until next time, I'm Joshua Giggy. Thanks for listening.